everyone, this is Kim C, and you're listening to The Year of Underrated Stephen King, a podcast that highlights the lesser-known novels of Stephen King to explore some of the greatest storytelling ever. So today we have a really fun segue from our usual book-slash-short story analysis. I asked my good friend and fellow constant reader Liz R. to be a guest on the podcast and allow me to interview her on her own Stephen King journey, her favorite novels some of her suggestions for new readers, and we had a super amazing conversation because Liz R. is all things intellectual and literary. She's a bibliophile. She's always reading and providing tremendous reviews to what she reads, and she has a really unique perspective, complete with sage wisdom on all the things. One of my favorite pieces of advice Liz R. gave me was several years ago she mentioned Wherever you are in the world, on your lunch hour, you should try to get a bit of sunshine or fresh air and have a book in your lap to enjoy on your lunch hour. And there have been many long, dismal days that were made better and brighter because of Liz R's advice. So I really hope you enjoy our conversation. We had an absolute blast, and I hope you get to have some fun hearing from another constant reader. The only caveat slash unfortunate occurrence to this interview is toward the end, in the last 20 to 15 minutes, there's a little bit of a sinking issue where... There's about a five-second delay on my end, so it sounds like Liz is a little bit ahead. It's not totally unlistenable, but if you're someone who is really um, not crazy about solid audio, my apologies. I've been doing all the things to try and fix it. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm not an audio engineer, and (laughs) I have come really close to just throwing Uh, my laptop across the room and shattering it into a million pieces. So in order to keep it zen, we're going to take Liz R's advice and approach it with radical acceptance. So please enjoy this interview. Apologies for a little bit of a sinking issue toward the end, but it's not totally the worst. So let's dive in and listen to my super good friend Liz R. She's the star. Just listen to her. I'm just the irrelevant monkey chattering in the background, but Liz R. should uh, be in our spotlight today. So come join us and let's head in. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the year of underrated Stephen King, and I'd like to present to everyone Liz R. Hello, Liz R. Hello. So great to have you with us today. I so appreciate your time, and I want to dive into all the Stephen Kingness. So uh, to kick us off, Liz R., approximately how many Stephen King books have you read in your lifetime? Well, I can actually give you the exact number because I counted right before doing this podcast. So I have read 30 Stephen King novels and I am counting short story collections like Everything's Eventual um, that you just reviewed as a single book. So yeah, 30. And something that's surprising is I actually went on Goodreads to do my count uh, because I've, I've kept track of all of my books there. 
And when I searched Stephen King's name on, on Goodreads, there are 55 pages of books by Stephen King. It's oh just mind-blowing. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's immense. It's 30, true. yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, of course, like 55 pages, a lot of those are individual short stories and foreign languages and things like that. But I was just like, what? there will never be an end to uh books to read if you get into Stephen King it's true it's true it's just endless it's absolutely endless 30 books my goodness that's that is a significant chunk and I 100% classify you as a constant reader I don't know what the official count is but I'm calling it I decided (laughs) I think that that's constant reader territory so my first question to kind of start off our constant reader interview is how old were you when you first read your your very first Stephen King book um and which one was it Yeah, I think I was about nine or 10. So not sure what that says about my parents, but (laughs) (laughs) about nine or 10. And I I started with The Shining. So I I went straight for the jugular and uh, just went with one of the the scariest ones. Oh my God, Liz, I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That kind of bleeds into my second question. Did you know Stephen King was a horror author? Did anyone warn you? Did you just go in blind? Or what sort of made you read The Shining when you were such a little gal? (laughs) Yeah, I I did for sure know that he was a horror author. My parents are actually constant readers themselves. I don't know what their official count is, but I'd actually guess that they've both read more than 30 of his novels. So they're they're certainly constant readers. Um, And so I knew what I was getting into. But I'm a huge horror fan in general. I've always been a fan of horror movies. And I had watched my fair share of horror movies before picking up Stephen King. So I knew what I was getting into. And I think I actually started reading The Shining because I had watched The Shining on TV. And I don't know if it was the Kubrick version or some made-for-TV version or, or whatever. But I think that's why I picked up the book. And then I do remember being outraged that in the book, uh, actually, this might be a spoiler, but in the book, a character <laughs> a character dies in the book that doesn't die in the movie version. And I thought it really, even as, as a pretty little kid, it, I thought it took away. And I also remember hating that the movie features a uh, hedge maze pretty prominently. And I thought that kind of took away from the creepiness of the hedge animals in the book they're creepy by themselves. And I didn't think that it needed like this extra, you know, element to it to to add to the creepiness. And then the other difference I remember like standing out to me when I read the first, when I read this first novel of Stephen King is in the movie version, Jack dies in the maze instead of in the boiler room. And I thought that that was really jarring because to me the whole point of that book is that Jack is consumed by the hotel and there's like a a poetic justice of him being killed by the boiler because he can't let it go whereas the maze is outside and it's to me kind of removed from the hotel so I, I thought while the movie is completely brilliant and Kubrick's obviously a genius you know in his own right but I thought the book was actually 
more poignant. And I remember even as a kid reading this and, and I was pretty mind blown by how much I wanted to keep going. So Shining was number one. That's incredible. I 100% agree with you on everything you said. Because, and I think that's w- mostly why Stephen King hates the Kubrick film so much is because the ending really oh, oh my god yeah we're gonna have to go down a rabbit hole with that one but yeah he was really unhappy with the final take because and we'll definitely have to do a shining deep dive down the road but I think what, what you mentioned about Jack being consumed by the hotel I my thought is I really see Stephen King wrote Jack as himself mm. and so the fact that he dies in the boiler room I feel was like the ultimate redemptive in the end he did do the right thing even though he was consumed by the hotel so there was a little bit of redeeming light cast on Jack mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah 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 uh, Mr. King hates Kubrick interesting uh, film. He has a really cool quote where he says, it's like a beautiful car with no engine. (laughs) That's so great. That's so, that's so King and it's so great. Right? Yeah. So um, I love your thoughts on The Shining. I did not know that was your first one. one. Yeah. And I, I didn't really, I don't think I I read a lot of Stephen King after that. I think there was a a little bit of a hiatus because I, I was pretty young, even though I was a, an avid avid reader as a kid I I think I took a little break after that I needed one (laughs) as you should my god room 237 no (laughs) way Uh, um, so my third question is do you have any Stephen King titles that you hate but everybody loves out of the 30 or so that you've read um, are there ones or and then on the opposite are there ones that you super love but you notice that people give a lot of crap so the only Stephen King book I'd say that I hate and hate is a strong word I I guess I'd go with dislike is Gerald's Game and that's just because I couldn't get through it so it's it's one of only I think two Stephen King books that I put down and the reason is the sexual aspect of it was just not something that I personally wanted to read uh especially at that that point in my life so it's something I might pick up again in the future but I kind of doubt it I tend to steer clear of uh, things with a more sexual theme and and that's just you know personal Um, but I had a I had a pretty negative reaction to it so I'm not sure about the general response to that book I don't know if it is a beloved book or if it was really well you know critically received uh, I, I just know that was one that I didn't really get through. Um, and then what What was the second half was one I super love. But yeah, like one that you really enjoy, but you notice people don't like it. Like they, they, they give a lot, they throw a lot of, of manure on it. Yeah. So actually, I think you did it in maybe episode three, but uh, Under the Dome. So I love that book. And just as you <laughs> kind of called out in the podcast, I think that one gets a lot of flack because I think it's because the ending is not horry. I think it's kind of, that's a hard word to say, but it's not, um, <laughs> it, it's not really horror. It starts to get a little sci-fi. And I would say that, you know, maybe Stephen King readers are not 
primed for that or the typical Stephen King reader is not primed for that. And so I, I think it, it gets a lot of flack and I don't think that the show on CBS helped at all. <laughs> Just leave it at that. Um, but I, I thought the book itself was awesome and I truly had no issue with the ending. I'm generally one for radical acceptance when I'm reading. So I was a-okay with the ending and I thought the entire thing was just so action-packed, so many amazing characters as you called out and that Chester's Mill, it was so real. It, I felt like I lived in the town when I was reading that book. So um, that, that one I, I really thought was amazing and I don't think it should get as much flack as it does. Me too. Me too. I'm so glad you feel that way because I have noticed, I have noticed an immense amount of flack for that novel. So I'm really glad that you feel the same. Um, I have not yet read Gerald's Game, but I think I'm in the same boat as you where uh, the subject matter is a little polarizing for me at this time. I would like to do maybe later on in the podcast, some of like, we're going to do maybe like a month or two on some of the female-centered mm-hmm. uh, protagonists, such as Dolores Claiborne, Gerald's Game, Rose Matter, because I think that Stephen King in the mid to late 90s had a moment where he was really exploring, like, the battered woman mm-hmm. trope, and um, so I, I yeah, it, it would be bumpy, but I, I think that we need more commentary on the women in Stephen King, but I'm in the same boat with you on Gerald. And you know what, what's interesting too, I, I think about this sometimes is I, I don't know that I would have had the same reaction had it been a female author. And I don't know how fair that is to Stephen King, but it, it almost, as I was reading, it felt like something where I was like, this isn't for you. Like you, you can't write this, you know what I mean? And I don't know yes. that that's fair. Uh, but that that's where my head was when I was reading that book. A hundred percent. I think that we need to get a few ladies. I think we can really do an awesome exploration on that because he, he really investigates that a lot with these mm-hmm. hero, heroines. He, he really puts them through hell too. Um, and so I kind of wanted to talk about that um, in, in terms of like, a female reader like what what's your what's your agenda here Mr. Mm-hmm. King so super super interesting but my fourth question is which title do you feel are Stephen King's underrated works that aren't as popular but maybe should be so we kind of mentioned um under mm-hmm. the dome but were there any more off the top of your head that you really like nobody reads these <laughs> books and maybe they did <laughs> yeah uh so this one I don't hear about a lot but I really enjoyed from a Buick 8 and I think oh. that one is maybe early 2000s I, I can't remember but post accident king yes it's post accident king and it's been a very long time since I read the book. Um, and really, that's a disclaimer for a lot of the books that I'll mention, because I have been reading Stephen King for over 20 years. So, you know, it kind of goes in and out of my memory. But the only part of the book I vividly remember is there's a line in there where one of the characters says, there are Buicks everywhere. And by itself, that line doesn't mean anything. But the line... <laughs> the line Buicks is really referring to 
things that are inexplicable and things about life that don't fit neatly into the lines of reality. And I think he really, King explores that a lot. And I think it's really similar to a line in my favorite Stephen King short story, which is Mrs. Todd's Shortcut. And in that story, there's a line where one of the characters says, there are holes through the middle or, or something like that. And I just get this sense that Stephen King knows things. So, you know, this is a podcast and you can't see me, but I'm kind of waggling my eyebrows when I say the word knows. It's it's like I've always had a, a fascination and this emotional connection to the idea of unreality and of things that can't be explained and of darkness that can't be explained. And I think sometimes when I read Stephen King, I just get a sense that he's so right about what he's talking about but there are things that no one can or should know about. Like he's he's almost tapped into some truths about the dark side of the universe that are unknowable and yet he knows them and he's able to convey them. So I, I think it's the creepiest thing about him. And I think, I think there are Buicks everywhere. And the reason I remember that line is because sometimes just in my, my daily life, like it'll pop up and it's just, there are Buicks everywhere. There are things that we can't explain. And the X-Files theme song starts going through my head a little bit too. So <laughs> I'm a little cuckoo, but yeah, I, that one I, I thought, um, even besides that line, that that novel itself, um, I remember really enjoying it. I just nerded out to everything you just said. It was so wonderful and awesome. And I'm so glad that you were able to kind of get that. I, For me, I, I feel like that in the writing. Like when I see a beautifully written paragraph, I just go to those places in my heart. But I love that like the the sort of mysterious unknown is is alive in your brain when you read Stephen King I loved everything you said so good um so I'm gonna actually jump around on some of my questions because I think we can come back to number five but um my next one is what title would you recommend to someone who has never read Stephen King and maybe is either not into her or maybe too snobby like they just finished a grad program and they're a little snobby and bratty and um what would you sort of advise that they read if they kind of just wanted to know about Mm. so my initial thought when you started the question was Carrie because it's his first novel and I think that alone is is always a good place to start with an author because it kind of gives you a, a pure sense of who they are but when you went on with the question and you said okay people who aren't really fans or necessarily uh want to read horror Carrie is very horrific and I I I think if I don't really think anyone needs advice to read Stephen King they're objectively really well-written books everyone I've read anyway and they're all such easy reads there's nothing you really need to do to prepare But the only reasonable objection to not reading Stephen King is if you don't like horror in general, which I understand. So for those people, I would say maybe 112263. It is hefty. Uh, It's not for the faint of heart, but it is not horror. It's a, a retelling of 
assassination. And so if horror is not your thing, that's more of a procedural. And I think that would be a good one to start with or any of his books that are, are less horror-y. There, there's a lot to choose from. There's 55 pages on Goodreads. So at least 10% <laughs> of those I'd say are, are not really in the horror genre. Um, but my, my best advice for any reader of any book whether it's Stephen King or anyone else's, is, is really just radical acceptance and just be there for the book. It doesn't mean that you have to accept plot holes, but you should accept whatever the author is building for you. And so uh, just, just accept. And then the only other thing I would say is that if you don't like a book that you're reading, just put it down, right? I mean, there's too many books in the world to waste your time so I would say if you start on a Stephen King novel and it's not the one for you put it down pick up something else there's 55 pages on Goodreads to choose (laughs) (laughs) well said golden nuggets from Liz R I love them uh excellent recommendation 112263 is so incredible and I remember reading an article that the Wall Street Journal wrote on it um, when it came out because people's minds were blown and these are stuffy blue collar people who do not read genre Mm. fiction and it they're they were grabbed by the throat for sure by that awesome novel so well said well said uh so my other question uh in your opinion in your experience what is the worst Stephen king book and why hmm So this is a little controversial, but (laughs) I think, and hopefully Stephen King doesn't hear this, but I think that (laughs) the ones that he writes as Richard Bachman are not so good. And I I have a probably incorrect theory that Stephen King slaps the Bachman name on books that don't turn out as good. I'm sorry, Stephen King. Um, I, I I thought that, for example, I, I think he doesn't have many Bachman books. I think there's like four or five. I think I've read two of them. Thinner, I thought, was one of his weaker novels. And I also wasn't crazy about Running Man, which was adapted into okay. the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that is completely different than the book. Um, but <laughs> neither of those, I, I just, they fell a little flat for me. They seemed... Um, they seemed not as good. And and I knew they were Stephen King going in. So it wasn't like I read them thinking it was a different author, but um, yeah. I will take your, your advice on that because I have not read a Bachman yet. So I will have that in mind going forward. The one that I'm looking forward to reading is The Long mm. Walk which is apparently the best Bachman book. It's post-apocalyptic, I believe. And it's about this race where people walk until oh. they die or something, <laughs> something along those lines. Um, I, I like that though. I'm sure that, I think it's a valid theory to slap a pseudonym on something that you're maybe not too crazy about. And he has that luxury. He sure does. So. Um. My, uh, let's see, what character or characters, plural, from past Stephen King novels would you like to see in a sequel or their own standout novel? Mm. So I'd say that 
oh, I don't know if I could handle a standout novel <laughs> with some of these people, but I guess the, the first person that popped into my mind is Annie Wilkes, even though Misery is already <laughs> about her. She's practically the main character, let's be real. But she she's she's the best villain as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, that's an example where I think she was really helped by the movie and the portrayal by Kathy Bates, who I think even got an Oscar for that performance. If she didn't, I think she was nominated. I'm not sure. But um, that that villain is so exceptional that I, I could I could probably stand to see her torture another author and get their perspective. But no, in all seriousness, it, it would be the same book. So um I'm not sure. I, I no one's really standing out. Um, there, it, it's probably just coming from me having read so many over so long of a period of time that no one they're blending together a little bit for me, and so I, I can't really think of anyone that I would want separately. I like it. Um, on the last episode, I did Confession Corner, where I revealed to everybody I haven't read Misery oh. yet, because I'm so scared, Liz. I'm so scared. I'm so scared of Annie Wilkes. Um, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, but I, I have also heard that from many others, that she She's is just this, this presence that is um, unforgettable. And uh, yeah, and you kind of like her in, in terrible ways a little bit, because she's <laughs> It, it's just uh the worst slash the best I don't know but I'm so scared yeah. Liz. I'm so scared you know she she's <laughs> so incredible because I read later that Annie actually represents King's drug addiction or his addiction at the time oh. and so there's like and he explores that in a couple of his different novels so there's you'll as people become constant readers they'll notice these similar themes of someone being physically trapped in situations that they can't escape so there's definitely scenes in misery where uh, the main character is is describing basically like dying of thirst because he 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 can't get out of bed and the same thing happens in gerald's game where someone's tied to a bed and then there's there's lots of other examples right like cujo comes to mind too trapped in the car so i think king in misery in particular is just he's speaking from experience and i think the way that he's tying the mental experience to the physical sensations you can just kind of tell that he's been there and i think because he drew that novel from experience when he wrote misery it makes annie so real and she's so scary and yeah drug addiction is so scary that she's even worse so it's uh, she, she's a gem she's a gem you should pick it up I will I know I will um I think what we might have to do is do like a communal read because I don't think I could read it by myself like I would need to share the experience with others because I know I'm just going to be falling apart inside my little marshmallow heart is going to get roasted by the monster it's a scary one I'm not gonna lie that, that one is not for the faint of heart for exactly. sure Right, because it's got everything. It has torture, murder, <laughs> enslavement. Um, it's just like nonstop terror. Terror, just pure terror with a capital <laughs> T. All caps, actually. All caps. All caps terror. So um, I'm going to do it. But it's nice to hear what a 
powerful character Annie Wilkes is because it's just kind of makes her and her representation more poignant when you really get to as you said as a constant reader so spinning off of the terror aspect if you were to meet a Stephen King new reader who let's say you know we're getting close to Halloween and they're like I want to be scared I want to be really scared um aside from misery what other novels or short stories do you feel really pack that like gaspy Stephen King yeah misery is at the top of my list um I would also say Pet Cemetery. That one truly yes. scared me. I, I think it's really yeah. personal though, right? Like it depends what kind of horror gets to you. There's, it's kind of a grab bag. There's something for everyone in Stephen King's repertoire, but that's why there are so many different genres of horror movies, right? Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre does nothing for me. I could watch it with the lights off, uh, you know, at midnight in a graveyard and I'd be like, this is fine. But any movie that starts dealing with demons will have me using a flashlight to get to my bedroom. So it just sort of depends what your thing is. So if you know that your thing is demons, you should probably pick up it because there's nothing more demonic than Pennywise. If you're scared by that whole concept of being trapped, then pick up misery. So there's really no right answer. It's just knowing like what it is that's going to get to you and then ask me and then I'll tell you the right book for you. (laughs) But uh, Pet Pet Cemetery for (laughs) sure was the one for me that that freaked me out. That one also freaked me out. And I believe I read something where Stephen King felt he, he went, went too far. too far. Yeah, he did. He went movie. too far, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, he really did. Um, mostly because, and, and I think especially as us young people have grown older and become parents, <laughs> the fact that losing a child yeah. is part of that. And, um, but yeah, I, that was actually, I think my second Stephen Ooh. King novel and I, I was like, oh, this is fine. I was totally fine. And then at the end is, is when, um, I couldn't sleep and I was, uh, I was wrecked. I was wrecked. Um, so yeah, that one was, uh, awesomely intense and yeah, Stephen King says it was maybe too much. So That's when you know you've gone too far. If Stephen King thinks he's gone too far, he's gone too far. (laughs) Right? My gosh. Um, So my other one in regards to, we talked a little bit about radical acceptance, which I think is such a perfect phrase and sentiment. Um, And putting the book down if it's just not your tea cup. Um, This question is mostly about even though you have the notion of radical acceptance uh, with you, has there ever been a story or a Stephen King novel where the ending was so unsatisfying that it ruined the journey as a whole, where you're just like, (laughs) nope, this just sucked because this, there's no saving it. It just is a garbage. Yeah. I mean, I don't personally remember feeling that way. Like I said, if, if I don't like a book, I do put it down. And I've only done that to two Stephen King books. So I think I remember not really liking Cell, but it's been too long for me to remember why exactly. Um, I don't remember the plot, so let alone the ending. 
And I do think uh, another one that comes to mind is insomnia. I think that one's a little tricky. It's been a while since I read it, but it's somewhat of a sequel to it because it takes place in Derry. And at the end, you get what amounts to an explanation of some of the forces that power the evil in Derry. And it's almost mythological in nature. And I didn't love that because I actually thought it took away from it, which is one of those stories that I think stands alone and doesn't need any kind of explanation. So that wasn't really my favorite, but it was Insomnia was still an entertaining read. I, I got all the way to the end, didn't put it down. Therefore, I liked it. So, uh, so no, there, there's nothing I think that right. has really ruined the experience for me. Um, but I do know that some people feel that way. I know, like my mom likes to say that Stephen King doesn't know how to end a book. But I, I just don't think that's <laughs> true. Like, I think a lot of his novels actually do have very crisp and coherent endings that fit in with the rest of the narrative. I just would say, you know, if you're someone like my mom, who doesn't think that endings are Stephen King's strong suit, I would maybe focus on reading his short stories because they're so tight that there's basically no opportunity for him to mess up the ending anyway. So those those are are perfect for you if, if you are in the boat of thinking that some of his endings are not the best. Love it. Couldn't agree more. They're just like all caps. Like if I was a little comic book, you would just see all of the exclamations <laughs> coming out of my smiling face because couldn't agree more. Um, I've heard very crassly from other Stephen King books, or pardon me, other Stephen King fans that Cell from a Buick 8 and Dreamcatcher are considered the quote trash books. What was the last one? Dreamcatcher? But okay. um, Dreamcatcher. Because I believe that one literally has an alien that is in a toilet, like a toilet <laughs> alien, and it's called a shit, a shit weasel or something like, I don't know. I have no idea. I haven't read it, so I can't say, but they crassly say it's a trash book. And I, I'm really, I've always appreciated, Liz, that you've had such a kind and accepting open mind where you don't dismiss or completely insult something you kind of just analyze it in an academic way which I think is very um I enjoy that immensely so and I think we need more of that I think that um, more reviewers need to be a little bit more objective rather than sure. too subjective but um yeah insomnia is another toe breaker <laughs> that one is Very big. really big i haven't read yet but um this kind of leads me based on what you said um i have a question about yeah. the dark tower because i think last time i asked you you have not read it i have not read it but it's like mm -hmm. this big thing it's, it's the thing. thing liz it's the the thing it's the it's the big thing in the stephen king universe and as readers and it's like this whole other portal mm -hmm. dimension literally actually so i just wanted your thoughts on maybe what's kept you from from taking the plunge or your yeah you know it, it sounds ridiculous to say but what's kept me from taking the plunge if you can believe it is the commitment. And the reason I say it's ridiculous 
is because I'm totally fine <laughs> reading these toe breakers that are over a thousand pages long. I'm like, let me dive into that. But Dark Tower, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's a big commitment. I mean, it, it is. I mean, it is a bigger commitment. So it, it's just, um, you know, sitting down and, and there's a lot of books to read. And I'm just, <laughs> I haven't been, I haven't been ready. But I did pick up Gunslinger about, I think, like 12 years ago. And I didn't get through it. That was the other one I put down. Um, and I put it down in favor of something else, but I should probably give it another go because like you said, I've, I've heard that Dark Tower is amazing. I think I remember reading once, I can't, I can't remember where, but the request that Stephen King gets most often is from constant readers who are dying. And the one thing that they want most in the world is to know how Dark Tower ends. So I think that really says something about the power of the story but I haven't picked it up myself. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I can't remember why I put down Gunslinger. It wasn't one where with Gerald's game, I know exactly why I put it down with Gunslinger. I think I, I just don't think I was in the right headspace. And I think that looming commitment was staring me in the face. And, you know, I got a hundred pages in and I was like, no, 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 let me back out of this and just do something else. <laughs> so I think maybe I just got scared. <laughs> I, I feel the same. I feel the same. It's it's seven books. It's this magnum opus of fantasy, which I'm actually, you know, I enjoy fantasy, but I feel it's a genre that I don't read very often. And so I'm intimidated. Mine's mostly intimidation. And then also the, oh man, it's just the, the fact that it also opens up the can of worms of Stephen King's entire universe is connected um, with this like uh, dimensions and portals and time and it's like I feel like my brain's just gonna just evaporate um, so um, I I think I too really want to approach Gunslinger here pretty soon especially because mm -hmm. Hollywood's been trying to adapt it forever and they just can't get it right so I also think there's a lot of, you know, good podcasts and, and really intelligent people that praise it and can maybe really bring it to life to where I would like it a lot. But yeah, I think we should we should both do Gunslinger here pretty soon down the road. We'll make it like maybe a a, a New Year's yeah. resolution. But has he finished Dark Tower? I think I read that people, you know, were needed to know the end years ago. So I, I didn't even know that he had finished the, the series. I feel he did. I feel he did think, but yeah, I, I feel he did. But again, I don't know. I don't know if there's like, if it's concluded and then there's just more Dark Tower stories looming. Um, but I feel, I feel he did, but I'm not a hundred percent either. I'm like 95% sure he did, but um, yeah, I did not know that about fans who were terminally ill or I can't remember like that, where I read that idea. but I, I swear but, that that stuck out to me because I, I remember saying oh well then Dark Tower must be amazing oh yeah like and I just I think that whenever I'll have a conversation with with a Stephen King fan and it goes to Dark Tower and I'm like oh I haven't read it there's a little bit of side eye you're one of those like, I guess, fans yeah <laughs> I get this yeah I get this side eye and it's basically like 
silent but not so silent judgment <laughs> and dismissal of me and I'm like you know what you jerk this is not okay to uh (laughs) I am still a constant reader um just because I haven't done it yet you know so there's a little side eye and I would like to I would like to avoid the side eye in future um are there any books you feel have well that's kind of like the same question I'm going to scrap that question let's go back to question number five I really enjoy um, can you explain as beautifully, succinctly as you do, uh, why you read Stephen King and why you continue to read Stephen King? Yeah. So just because someone is popular doesn't mean they're not good. And I feel like I've heard that before about Stephen King, that he's kind of a popcorn writer and, you know, he's, he's just good for writing books that turn into movies. And in fact, I find that most of my all-time favorite shows and books and authors and anything in pop culture, I like because they're incredibly popular. So usually I find that people are popular for a reason. Stephen King is popular for a reason. George R. R. Martin is popular for a reason. Uh, Beyonce is popular for a, a reason, right? So Stephen King is objectively a great writer. And when I start reading a Stephen King book, it feels like coming home, right? Like I can go off and not read a Stephen King book for a year. I can spend the year reading a hundred books from a hundred different authors. But when I finally come back and I pick up a Stephen King novel again, it's like I'm slipping into a comfy pair of socks. It's like, it is. It's like it's like hearing a voice from someone in your family. It's I just recognize him immediately and I'm comfortable immediately. And I can slip back into this mindset of Stephen King. And I, I don't know if, if other readers have this experience, but I find that I, I have different mindsets when I read different authors. And so I think it has to do with, with writing style. So generally, I, I fall into one of two camps. I'm either skim reading a book where I'm kind of racing to get through it, and it's completely unintentional. I'm still reading every word, but I'm just rushing. And then there's books where I'm able to really savor it and read in the moment. And it, it's hard for me to describe, but it's kind of like the difference between reading a book while you're in a doctor's waiting room versus reading a book when you're outside on a lawn chair sitting in the sun. It's just something feels different and it affects the way that I take it in. So no matter where I read Stephen King, I can slow down and have that in the moment approach to his books because his writing style gets me there. And any author really that puts me in that mindset, George R. R. Martin is another one. Um, it's just someone I'll go back to again and again and again because it, it's home. It feels like home. Oh, and also I do love horror. So that helps a lot. Sure. Sure. Oh, I love that. So well said. Um, I feel very similar where I think what I started to notice when I would read other books, especially really dry, Brit lit, I had to read for school and then I could sneak some time in and read a Stephen mm-hmm. King. It felt like I was really hungry, like really starving, 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 hungry. And then when I open up a Stephen King novel, I know I'm going to eat really well. I know I'm going to be fed very well. Even if I'm not 
entirely thrilled with the menu and I'm not you know I just know there's going to be a satisfying nature like a, a a total mental and emotional sensation of just reading something that is feeding you. And I feel that his work feeds me and I'm the biggest freaking cat on the block. I'm so scared Liz all the time, but his his writing is so good. It's just, it's just so good. And it just feeds me and nourishes me in a way that I like. And yeah, more succinct answer is just that he, he's a spectacular writer. I read a lot and he's great. He's objectively great at what he does. He's... Agree. I, I wholeheartedly agree. So my last one here, as we kind of round out, um, do you have either a top three or a top five just in your life or in your just reader journey where they just went up on that shelf for you where you're like all right this is special this yeah is, this is um, a gem. let me let me tick them off my fingers so I would say uh misery is probably number one for me because I think it's the scariest uh I'd say I really loved Firestarter and I love that one because it's just action-packed thrills from start to finish that's another good one for someone who says they're not really into horror you, that it, it's more of a, an action book I'd say and Stephen King's really good at writing kids you've said that in the podcast before there's a very precocious star of Firestarter and there's also a very dedicated and loving father so I found that one to be excellent uh, Pet Cemetery. I, I have to put the ones that really scare me up at the top so that one it, it packs a punch and it's, sure, it's just yeah. brilliantly written um Let's see, that's three. Lisey's story, I would put up at the top as well. I know you, I love that book. I know you talked about it a a few episodes ago, but it just has a special place in my heart. It really, it kind of introduced me to magical realism and he does revisit magical realism quite a bit in his work. They're usually my favorite stories. Um, So I I just like anything that's blurring that line between fantasy and reality. I'm always here for for line blurring. Um, And then I guess number five is probably On Writing, which is the book that he wrote about. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. I think that one's a must read for constant readers. It's not one that I would say you should pick up if you're not a Stephen King fan. I, I just don't think it'll have the same impact. But I like that one because it's Stephen King giving a sneak peek into what he does. And it helped me really pinpoint some of the objective things that I do think make Stephen King so wonderful as a writer. And it just feels like, it kind of just feels like a, a love letter to writing. And it, it, I don't know, that one is just special to me. I think it also, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he also gives some insights into what he was thinking when he was writing some of his more famous books and I think he even maybe again if I'm not misremembering I think he even talks about like some alternate endings that might have been in some of his books Um, I think that's where I heard about misery being you know connected to the idea of like drug addiction and so he he if you like his books and if you read his books that one's a really nice companion to help you kind of get into his brain so I'd say those are those are probably my my top five. Yeah, Misery, Pet Cemetery, 
Firestarter, on writing, and Lisey's story, because that one's lovely. Such a great list. Oh, man. Fantastic. Um, yeah, on writing is so good. I, I'm going to have to do a whole episode on that one for sure. That one is truly um, getting an extra special glimpse inside the mind of a fiction master, but also someone who's just like yeah. a wholehearted American dude. And he's, he just makes it so accessible. He's not a snob. He's just this guy who works hard at it and who chips away every single day. And, oh, man, I love that one so much. And I'm so glad you mentioned Lisey's story because Lisey's story is one that is very polarizing for a lot of Stephen King fans because it's a tricky read. It's a tricky read. There's there's a lot of complex language. The story is pretty um it's puzzling it's a puzzling narrative for sure however once you get in there it's memorable and it is precious and I think especially shining a light on love and it's pretty great I love that one great are there any Stephen King books potentially that you have have thought about rereading just to kind of you're like, oh, I don't remember this one at all, but I remember really experiencing something that I want to, you know, I don't reread like, I wouldn't say it's a rule, but it's like almost a rule. (laughs) I I just don't tend to reread books. Um, Again, it's just because there are too many good books in the world. And I always have a list of like a hundred (laughs) books that I want to read. And so um, I always prioritize the ones that I I haven't read before. Uh, I would consider rereading Stephen King's short stories because they're not as much of a commitment, but I can't really see myself going back to any of the ones that I've already read because even though I don't remember them, I will remember them as I start reading them. And it doesn't feel fair to all of the other (laughs) books. I feel very similar. I am not a person who rereads. I only sort of just started to do that with the podcast because I wanted to have the freshest perspective I could. Um, But yeah, I feel guilty. I feel guilty rereading a book sometimes because I'm like, oh, but there are books I haven't read yet. And what about those? (laughs) They're waiting their turn. So I do have to wrestle with guilt a little bit about that. Um, but with the yeah. podcast, it's it's kind of been fun to do, um, to to sort of have the the journey again a second time. Uh, like I just reread Joyland, which is a little one. You could do it in a day. And that one is just magic. It's a magical little story. But I uh, agree with yeah, you. Yeah, I, I hope that doesn't sound snobby. Like I didn't mean for it to come across snobbish. It's just like I don't reread a novel, please. no. no <laughs> No, nope, totally, totally. No, because you're just, time. you know, we got so little time. We're, it's, it's the 21st century. We, uh, we have a problem with And the, we <laughs> have every Instagram book ever written in like, existence yeah. accessible to us in like a teeny tiny device <laughs> that fits in your hand. Like I can't, it's almost overwhelming with how many books I want to read. Absolutely. There's just all of them ever written ever (laughs) all the time. 
fantastic um and that is also (laughs) I just have to say I have to stop saying fantastic I say it way too many times so we're gonna try to stop saying that in future episodes but to sort of round out our conversation which has been incredible Liz you are such a stellar interview um and constant reader what is the next Stephen King book that you plan on if it bleeds is probably yeah probably next on my list if it bleeds Uh, the next one that I'd love to see you do on the podcast no pressure um you probably have a list already put together of of what you're going to do so when I say next, maybe that means a year from now. <laughs> um, but I would love to see you do <laughs> Needful Things because, yes, that one's very good. And I'd love to see if you find that it has the same parallels to Under the Dome that I think it does. Oh, okay. I love the suggestion. There is a little mini list forming, but I am always swayed. I can be swayed very easily. So um, I will definitely consider that here coming up. What I think is going to happen, we're going to do our next episode is just after sunset. Then we're going to go to the beach, get our Duma key on, and then Oh, right. Oh, they're so good. And then I was either going to do full dark, no stars after that, but I can always wait. So um, I can, there might be a little bit of adjusting going on and I might consider needful things most definitely because I haven't read it and I would love to, especially since in Castle Rock, the Hulu TV show, which two episodes, I think. I guess in season two, they have some characters, Pop Merrill yes. and Ace Merrill. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, and I think, I could thing. be wrong, but I think Ace, so, maybe it comes back in Insomnia, now that I think about it. Don't quote me on that, though. I, I, I can't remember. Oh, I, I say it. don't I quote it. me on that on a podcast. Oh, so. <laughs> I just love I love how it's all interconnected. I I really do. I really do. Um, Any final thoughts or any recommendations to non-Stephen King readers or Stephen King constant readers um, (laughs) about radical acceptance or any Uh, No, not really. I think I would just echo what you said, I think, in your, your last podcast, which is that his short stories are a great place to start. They are so, they're so well-written and there's something for everyone. And I can't recall ever reading a, a collection of Stephen King stories where I didn't find at least a handful to love. So I think those are a great place to start if, if you're new. Love it. Love it. I have so loved our time together. I really think I'm going to bug you to come back because I adore your viewpoints and perspectives. And I know our listeners are going to relish it as well. So uh, thank you so much, Liz R. And um, we will talk again soon. And uh, many thanks to you guys for listening. And uh, we'll see you when we discuss just after sunset. Thanks again, Lizard. (laughs) 
So that concludes my interview with the fabulous Liz R. I hope you guys enjoyed it and many apologies for a bit of a bumpy conclusion in terms of sound. I think it might be the domain host and I don't mean to throw shade but get your sunglasses on. Um, so if any listeners have any suggestions please let me know. I'm all ears to try and avoid that in the future but I can't wait to have Liz R back on the show. We'll see if we can get her back to help us analyze a novel. I know I would love that and I know you guys would as well. But until then please join me for episode 13 coming up, which is our second short story collection of the podcast, Just After Sunset. So this one is really fun. I'm almost done compiling my notes, getting all the things ready, all my points. And then after that, we're going to head into Florida and get our Duma key on and be in that creepy beach that I love so much. And there may be a little bit of adjustment as we take Liz R's suggestion and potentially incorporate needful things before full dark, no stars. Haven't decided yet. It's cooking in the stew pot, but no matter what, needful things will pop up down the road. So if you guys have any questions or comments or would like to educate Liz R and myself on anything uh, regarding Stephen King and being a constant reader and any of the things, we are all ears and would love to hear from you. And please message us at underratedsk at gmail uh, as we would love to connect and hear your thoughts. Uh, as we love the community, we love being constant readers, so we appreciate you listening, and please reach out whenever you can, and until then, I will see you in episode 13, so uh, can't wait to talk with you again and read with you again. Take care, and bye bye